Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Ezekiel. Start out there. Chapter, the very last chapter of Ezekiel, and the very last verse of Ezekiel, chapter 48, verse 35. All right. So, yeah, Martin did a great job Tuesday, did a even better job today. We talked about that beforehand. Hopefully we'll do better today than we did Tuesday, So, and, and he did already, so he did a great job there, so I appreciate that. Appreciate Brother Faubert, all the kind words and, and the work that he's doing. I know it's a big job, and especially with COVID, all the different things we're having to, to do here at the school uh, with all of this craziness that's going on in our world, uh, but it's good to know that we've got Brother Faubert here to overlooking all of that and doing a great job. So Ezekiel 48 35, and I'm just going to read today, I'm just going to read the last three words. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. During the Depression, there was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operation to pay the principal and interest on his mortgage so he was in danger of losing his ranch. With little money for clothes or food, his family, like many others, had to live on government subsidy. Day after day, as he grazed his sheep over those rolling West Texas hills, he had no doubt greatly troubled thoughts about how he would pay those bills. Then a seismographic crew from an oil company came into the area and told him there might be oil on your land. They asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a lease and a contract for them to do that. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were more than twice as large as that one. In fact, 30 years after the discovery of that government test, one of the wells showed that it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels a day. Mr. Yates, he owned it all. The day that he purchased that land, he had received the oil and the mineral rights to that land, yet he had been living on government subsidies. He was a multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem, he didn't know. The oil was there, even though he owned it. He did not know. And that's my title today. I want to talk to you about that. He didn't know. He don't know. I'm looking at a, a good group of young people here uh, that are pretty put together. I'm amazed at the talent with music and preaching and singing and all the things that you do. You're a whole lot more put together uh, than I was when I went to school and, and the people I went to school with, I'll even say. You guys are way beyond where we were when we first went to school. So I brag on you for that, doing, doing a great job with that. And, and uh, you, you came here probably a lot more uh, focused on what you wanted to do in your life. I think kids nowadays, they, they start thinking about those a lot earlier, things like that, a lot earlier than they did back when I was in school. Not, not that I'm 100 years old or anything, uh, but I'm getting there. I'm more than halfway there, so... Uh, but, but you guys are well on your way. Uh, you already know uh, possibly what the Lord wants you to do with your life, what direction you're going to go. You already know that. 
And maybe some of you don't. Maybe you're still looking for that. Uh, you're, you're trying to find out what the Lord is wanting you to do, where he's leading you. And we, we have a lot of things like that that we don't know. We just don't know right now. We, we're trying to figure them out. And I, I looked up online uh, just some things that, uh, interesting facts. I, I just actually typed that in, interesting facts. And you get all kinds of stuff online about that. And I'm going to tell you a, a few that I got here. And I don't necessarily even believe they're true, especially the first one here. It says, do you know that North Korea and Cuba are the only place you can't buy Coca-Cola? Has anybody ever been to Cuba? I, I have a hard time believing that you can't get Coke at Cuba, in Cuba. But maybe you can. I don't know. But that's kind of interesting to me. And then I'll, I'll just ask you, what country do you think is the one that people most like to visit? Anybody have an idea? Who? Well, you know. Yeah, he's cheating over here. <laughs> Anybody know? Want to take a stab at it? Nobody? Okay. It's France, which doesn't surprise me. It's the place of romance. Go to Paris, and they have all the romance, so people flock there for that. And then this one, do you know that Indonesia is the home to some of the shortest people in the world? And I said it Tuesday. I'll go ahead and say it now. I'll probably pay for it later, but my wife is not from Indonesia. <laughs> she might be the, one of the shortest people in the world, but <laughs> she's... She's not from Indonesia. Uh, so just a few little, little facts there that nobody would ever know. And then the last one, some of you might know this. Do you know where the quietest room is located in the world? Where's the quietest room? Anybody know? It's at Microsoft headquarters. It's the quietest room in the world in the state of Washington. Uh, so just a few little facts there. Many times... In our life, we live in spiritual poverty just because we don't know. We don't know everything. We haven't experienced everything. So we live in poverty because of it, and we don't really understand, even in the church, what our birthright means to us. We've, we've come, we've gotten into the church, we're born into the family of God. If you've been baptized in his name, you've, you've been filled with his spirit, you're a child of the king. You're a part of the family of God, but many times we just don't understand and acknowledge what that really means. What does it really mean to be a child of the king? A child of the king of kings. It's pretty powerful. We look back at our scripture here in the book of Ezekiel. It, the book of Ezekiel begins by describing the holiness of God that Israel ignored at that time. And as a result, God's presence, what did it do? It departed from them. It left them. And then the book ends with a detailed vision of the new temple, the new city, and a new people, all demonstrating how holy God is. So it went from one gamut, one, one end of the spectrum, all the way to the other, and just in that short time, just in this book of Ezekiel. And as you can see, in the book of Ezekiel, it's filled with a lot of important concepts and principles. And I've, I've read these verses over and over through my life many times. Anybody ever read your Bible through? If you've read your Bible through, you've read the book of Ezekiel. Uh, and I've read it many, many times. But the last three words, there are four words there. J just last year, I was reading it again, and I got to this portion of the scripture. And I read those last four words, the Lord is there 
and I, I was actually living in the new, or reading in the New Living Translation, and I read that, and I thought, man, I don't remember that being there in those other versions that I read. So I said, they, they must have added that in the New Living Translation. So I got my King James Version out to see if that's what had really happened because I didn't remember it. And I looked it up, and sure enough, there it was. I'd, I'd read it many times, but I still didn't know it. I still didn't realize it was there. And as we face our, the pressures of life every day, it can feel overwhelming to us at times, especially in times like this during COVID. It's, it's crazy. Everybody's trying to keep from getting the virus, trying to be protected, wearing your mask, not forgetting your mask. I did that the other day. I ran into the school at supper time. Everybody's eating, and I walked up to a table that was full of kids, way more than should have been there. And I, uh, I said, are we social distancing? And then as soon as I said it, I realized I was standing there without a mask on. I totally forgot my mask. I ran back out to the car and got my mask. So it's just crazy, crazy times that we're having to deal with. We're in a world where, where you may be on your own for the very first time. It may be a place that's, that's new to you. And it can cause us to focus more on what is going on around us than what is really important. We, we often forget the true focus is not about the problem. That problem's got our attention right now. Seems like more than, than we want it to. It's got our attention, but that's not really what is important. We, we often forget the true focus is not about that problem, but it's the one who can solve that problem. That's where our true focus needs to be. See, the Lord is there in all of our circumstances. No matter what your circumstance is, he's there. He's there right in the middle of it. And we don't always let him have control of that and take care of that when he could because we're trying to run our lives ourselves and do it our way and, and, and do those, those type of things that we do just without even thinking. But he's there in the middle of your circumstances. But I want to share something with you that you already know and you've done it here today, but worship can be so important in this. Worship can be so important because it takes our eyes off of our current situations, our worries, and it gives us a glimpse of God and just how holy He is. Because when you, when you start worshiping, what do you do? You, you, don't, you forget all about your problems. They're, they're gone for the moment, but that they need to be. Because in the, during that time, you can give them to the Lord and and you can just focus on him and just forget about all those problems. Uh, all we have to do to, is, is have a need. And when we have that need, which we all have them, whether we admit it or not, call on his name. Just call on the name of the Lord and he will be there. And I, I wonder today, how many of you have done that? Even already this school year, you ran into issues that you weren't expecting. And all you had to do was just call on the name. Call on the name. My, my wife... Uh, tells a story uh, of when she was about four or five. She, her parents took her to Kmart. And everybody know what Kmart is? I think you're old enough. They are dying breed now. I, th I think they're all gone, I believe. Like a Walmart anyway. But her parents took her there uh, to go shopping one day. And she was just little. Uh, she's shopping along. And next thing she knows, she turns around. No mom and dad. They're gone. She's lost. She thought she was lost. So just, just one minute, and she got lost. And sometimes that happens to us in the spirit, doesn't it? Just a second, 
And it's like we're, we're lost. Where, where is God in all of this is what we feel like. Uh, but she got lost that day and she wandered around till she found an associate and they got in the loudspeaker and she's in tears and, and they call and her parents were really just an aisle over. But she couldn't see them. So she thought they were lost. They, they were gone. She, she was lost. Yeah, but they found them right there. And, and God is there that same way. Many times we, we get in these situations and, and we don't know where God is. We can't feel him. You ever come to church and not be able to feel God? I've done that many times. God, what is going on? I, when I need you, I can't feel you. But he's there. He's there all the time. We just can't feel him. We can't see him in that moment. I'll tell you a story, uh, one that's got a good ending, but I don't recommend you doing things the way I did it. And, and I'll preface this by saying, and I, you already know this, uh, but I'm a, I'm a quiet individual, real reserved, so I'm not one to do crazy things or anything like that. Uh, but in this story, I did. I went way beyond probably what I should have. Uh, but in the end, I found out it really was the Lord doing it. Uh, in the end, but I had this guy that uh, I, I still to this day, even though he's my very good friend, I don't know what his name is. His name is so weird. It's his first name starts with a G. His middle name starts with a B. And his last name is Miller. I do know that, but I can't say his name because it's so weird. So ever since I've known him, I just call him GB. It's the easiest way, and everybody that I know calls him that. So it's it's kind of weird, weird name. But uh, he was this guy that. He grew up going to church till he was about five or six, and then his family quit going. I, I knew him vaguely uh, from the new, basically I'll say I knew who he was. I really didn't know him, but I knew who he was. And through the years, you know, you'd, you'd pass somebody in the mall or something like that and, and acknowledge him, but, but I really didn't know him. never stopped and had a conversation with him. Uh, but one night, uh, back in the late 90s, Jenny and I went to uh, the mall, shopping and we're just walking the hallways in the mall people everywhere and and I happen to look over and there's GB coming down the aisle the other direction and we he saw me he made eye contact with me we nodded our heads at each other kept on going never spoke we didn't have anything to talk about we really didn't know each other I just knew who each other was and and uh, uh, we went along our way well I went home that night and got home and I could not get GB off my mind just on my mind. I couldn't, could, couldn't get away from it. So I finally decided I need to ask him to church. So I got the phone book out. This is before cell phone. Well, I think cell phones were out in the 90s, but I didn't have one. I was too poor to have one, that's for sure. So, uh, but I got the phone book out and the phone and called him up and GB answers. So I invited him to church. And he said, man, I would love to go to church with you. So I said, all right, well, we start at 10 o'clock. You know, he knew where it was and all that kind of thing, hung up and looking for a great day on, on, on Sunday. So we get there Sunday morning, get there early. Uh, it's maybe 9.30 or so. I got there a little early, hoping maybe he might get there early, but he didn't. <coughs> uh, he gets there. It's 10 till, no GB. 5 till, it's no GB. 10 o'clock, it's no GB. 10.05, it's no GB. And he never did show up, never showed up. So I was disappointed. Uh, but I decided right then and there that I was going to start calling him regularly and invite him to church. And this is what I did, uh, which he probably wanted to kill me some days, probably thought about killing me some days. 
But I called him for the next two and a half years. Every Thursday night, I called him. And we'd, we'd basically start having a Bible study over the phone. He, I had to call him late, like at 9 o'clock at night. He uh, worked in the next town. He was a manager of a grocery store, worked all kinds of hours, so he didn't have much time. So we'd do it over the phone on Thursday night. And I called him every Sunday morning at 8.30 for the next two and a half years, called him. And every time I'd call and I'd ask him to come to church. And the first few times I did it, he'd tell me, yeah, I want to come. I'm going to be there. And he would never come. Never come. And I, I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a pretty quiet person, not real aggressive or anything like that. But with him, I was just on him. Just Even when we talk, I'd just really get on him and give him a hard time about not coming to church. And just, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty rough on him, to, to be honest. And uh, totally out of my character to do that. And he confessed to me later. He, he said, it had to have been God. But he said, if you wouldn't have been that way with me, I would have never come to church. I would have never come. So it was the Lord. But I called him those two and a half years. So first of all, he started saying he'd come, and then he wouldn't. And then he wouldn't answer the phone. So I, he had an answer machine right by his bed. I knew he could hear me, so I'd leave him a message. And he'd never answer and never come, of course. Uh, and then sometimes after a while, his wife would grab the phone when she'd hear it was me. And she'd just say, he hears you, he knows what you want. And he just pulled the covers up over his head and, and hang up. And that was it for two and a half years. Finally, uh, you know, went along all this time and I was really getting tired of it. This is right near the end of two and a half years. And I was getting tired of it. So I, I called him one day and he told me he was going to be there Sunday morning. So Sunday morning comes, I get there and I'm waiting on him, watching for him. No GB, no GB, no GB. It's 10 after, no GB. And I had just had it up to here. I, I, I'll just be honest with you, I was mad. So I went and got on the church phone, the wall phone there, called him up. Of course, there's no answer. Left him a message. I said, GB, you told me you'd be here, but you're not here, but you're coming to church today because as soon as I get off this phone, I'm coming to your house, and I'm going to pick you up, so you, I'll be there in about 15 minutes, so get yourself ready. I'll be there in 15 minutes. Hung up the phone, got in the car, drove to his house. Get up on his porch, knock on the door, no answer. Well, that made me even more mad. So I walked around the house, and I was thinking, you know what? If I can find a window that's not locked, I'm going in, and I'm dragging him out of that bed. He's going to church whether he wants to go to church or not. Now, luckily, I didn't do that, and that's why I say don't try these things because you'll probably get shot, killed, something like that if you do. Uh, but he confessed to me later on that he, when he first got the phone call that he knew I was serious. So he jumped up, threw on some clothes, and he left before I got there so he wouldn't have to face me. So uh, the next Sunday, came around. I called, Thursday night I called him, then Sunday I called him again. No answer, and he didn't come to church, of course. Uh, but Sunday night that week, we had, we had Sunday night services at that time, sitting there waiting for church to start and look up, and GB walks in the door. Set, set back on this side, about where Brother Coltharp is sitting back there, right towards the back. And uh, he's, he's sitting there the whole service, and we had a powerful service. Man, I mean, God was moving people in the altar. Just, it was amazing. And he just stood back there just leaning on the pews, just watching. I got his attention and motion for him to come up, and he just shook his head no. So I walked back to him. 
And I, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget what he said to me. I, I went back and I, and I asked him, you know, I said, why don't you, why don't you come up here to the altar? Why don't you pray? And he, he looked at me and he said, no. He said, I can't feel God. And he, he could have done more damage, couldn't have done more damage than just punching me in the stomach when he said it. I can't feel God. And I just immediately went into something that I'd heard my entire life. And that is just that sometimes God is waiting on you to take that first step. And when you take that first step, he'll meet you there. And that's what I told him. I said, Jimmy, if you'll take that first step down towards that altar, I promise you, you'll feel God. And while I was saying it, I realized that I didn't know if I believed it. I didn't know if I believed it. So much so that I said it to him, and he just accepted it. And he said, all right, I'll try it. And he stepped around me and took off towards the altar. But I was in such disbelief in myself, I didn't even go down to the altar with him. I just stood there and watched him go. And me and Jesus had a quick meeting. And I told him, I said, God, when, when he gets down there, you have got to let him feel you. If he doesn't feel you tonight, he'll never come back in those doors. And I stood there and watched GB go. And he got down about to the first aisle or first row there of seats. And I could see him. He, he was walking normal. But when he got to that first row of seats, he just kind of broke. You could just see it as the power of God hit him. And he fell into that altar and repented and prayed just, just great. He came back the next Sunday and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. But it just goes to show you, I, I didn't know, really didn't know if he would feel God that day. I didn't have enough confidence myself to believe that he would. I thought there's a chance he might not, and if he doesn't, then what? But God did because God's faithful. He's always going to be there. Amen. Many times we, we go through frightening times in our lives, and we don't know if God's going to heal us or not. Maybe you've had family members there. Maybe you have family members there right now. I have a friend in Indiana right now, Judd Sears, pastors a church there, and he's, he's got a brain cancer, just found out, and they gave him six weeks to live. And uh, not a lot of hope there. But he's the most positive guy I've ever met through all of this. It's just amazing. But many times we go through things, and, and sometimes it takes those things to get our attention. A few years ago, I, I had a frightening time in my life. I went to the doctor, and it was just a couple of years ago, uh, just for a routine checkup, physical, and uh, got in there, and, you know, they do all the things that they do. I, don't you hate getting a physical? It's just miserable. And then they want to drain blood out of you and test it and all this crazy stuff. Uh, it seems like they've got a needle that's about that big and round, trying to put it in your little bitty arm, and, and it's just terrible, but... But I went in there, and they do all the things they're doing. And then right in the middle of it, the doctor, she looks at me, and she says, so how long have you had that knot on your neck? I'm going, I didn't know I had a knot on my neck. And she said, yeah, I saw it as soon as you walked in the door. And sure enough, I've got a knot down here on my neck uh, growing there. And, and she said, we need to test that. So they, uh, they did an ultrasound on it and some kind of scan that they do on there and and so they could see it real well. And then they sent me to a specialist, Dr. Park. And uh, so I went to him, and he met with me and showed me all the pictures and everything. And it showed all this microcalcification on this tumor. 
And he said, whenever we see microcalcification on a tumor, it lets us know that there's cancer there. But we're going to do a biopsy and check, so we'll get uh, samples of that, and, and we'll test it to make sure we could be wrong. But he said, I'm going to be up front with you. I, I deal with this stuff every day. And he said, when I see this, he said, I'm just going to tell you right now, you've got cancer. Well, it seems to get, get, got my attention pretty quick because my father passed away of cancer. My mother passed away of cancer. And then when somebody tells you that you've got it, kind of gets your attention a little bit. So, uh, but he said, we're going to test. So, so I went to the test to get the biopsy done. And, and I walk in. And the doctors there, they wanted the CD that the other doctor was supposed to give me uh, of the ultrasound so they would know where to put the needles. And they asked for it. I said, I don't have one. They didn't give me one. And I said, okay, well, we're going to have to redo that ultrasound. So they set everything up and get me in there, and they're redoing this ultrasound, and the doctor's searching around trying to find this microcalcification. Uh, but the thing that had happened, the doctor didn't know, was the night before, Brother Josh Carson uh, had been, uh, it's about 10 o'clock the night before, we were getting ready to go to bed, and he calls and says, man, I feel like I need to come to your house and pray for you. So I know it's late. Is that all right Would be for us to come and, come and do that right now? We want to come over right now, me and my wife. So he said, sure, I'll take all the prayer I can get. So they came over, prayed. I really felt like God touched, touched me. That next morning we get in there and that doctor's looking at that ultrasound and he's trying to find it and he's talking to the other doctors and he's going, I, I don't understand. I don't see what they were seeing. I, I can't find any microcalcification. It's not here, but we're going to go ahead and do biopsy. We'll just, we'll just guess and take some samples here and there and see what we got. So they did that and uh, got the test results back. They couldn't find anything. The lump's still there. It's still there. I have to go back in every every six months or so, and they check it and measure it to make sure it's not growing anymore and it hasn't been growing at all. Uh, so uh, they're just keeping an eye on it. But God was there. God was there. He, he knew, and, and what I did not know, and I did not maybe trust in him enough, but God was there in all of this, and he knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what we needed, when we needed it, and he took care of it. He took care of that need. Uh, I, I just wonder today, maybe some of you were there. Maybe in your dorms there's, there's situations or maybe you've got issues at home and, that you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to work out. Maybe there's a family issue, a financial issue, whatever it might be. And you just don't know. You don't know. But I want you to know there is one that does know. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what you need. And he will supply that need. If you'd stand with me. Man. One thing I've learned as I get older is that, that we don't go through life alone. If we were alone in this, we'd go crazy. I'd go crazy. I, I wouldn't be able to deal with it. But I've got somebody that I can call his name. And just, just the mention of his name. And he's there right there in the middle of my situation. So I don't know what you're going through. But do you know the God that Ezekiel knew? Do you know him? Man, he's there. He's always there. Remember that. The Lord is there. And I know we can't do church like normal and come up here and pray. But I wonder if right now, if you would just right where you are as the musicians come, 
I wonder if you'd just pour out your, your heart to God. And maybe there's situations that you're praying about. Give it to God and let Him step in and touch you in those situations. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful, God, to know that we can rely on you. We can trust in you. God, we can walk with you, Lord, and we know that you know everything, God, and everything's going to be all right. Lord, oh, is, every, is life perfect? No, but God, with, with you holding our hand, with you directing us, walking with us, God, you bring up peace that passes all understanding. Lord, and we pray right now, Lord, every situation that's represented in this house, pray that you'd step in, meet that need. God, bring a peace, bring a calm to them to their families. Provide the financial need. God, meet the physical need, whatever it may be. In Jesus' name, Lord, that your will be accomplished in everything that they do, God, as they give their lives to you, give their hearts to you, God, and trust in you with everything that they've got in them. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the hope that you give us, God. Without you, we are nothing. Lord, but with you, God, anything can happen, God. Touch each one of these kids. Use them for your glory, God, and their ministries to come, Lord, in Jesus' name. That your will be done in them, God, as you lead and guide them. them to follow after you, to give themselves completely to you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Just cry out to him today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We lift you up, Jesus. Amen.